Father, thanks for the day. We thank you very much for your love. Thank you for the opportunity that we have, the privilege that we have to be here, uh, to hold your word in our hand and to open it up and study it, to see what you have to say to us, to learn about you, to learn about us, to learn about how you interact with humanity. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we just thank you that we have an hour dedicated toward Bible study and learning and, and growing here called Sunday School. And we just pray your blessing upon this hour with the teachers and the students. As we open up the Bible, we pray that you would teach us and that we'd understand um, what you're teaching us and understand that all of life, all of life, you touch it all. There's not anything you leave out. And uh, we thank you for being that kind of a great God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, we are going to talk today about the king who befriends. We're going to talk about David and Jonathan today and friendship and what it is that the Lord has given us in that wonderful thing. The theological theme today is God's people need godly friendships. And the connection, Christ's connection, is the story of David and Jonathan gives us an example of true friendship and offers us a picture of God's covenantal love for his people because of yes yes the question is why is it that Saul hangs on for so so long after he's what after he's told he's not king, he's told he's not king. Um, I think that there's two answers to that. One is that it was God's plan to put David in when God wanted to put David in, that God wasn't ready to make that change yet. The second thing is fleshly pride. Yeah, I'm the king. Why would I let go of this? Being a king back in those days was a good gig. I mean, that was a good thing to do. You know, it's, you, were, you were the boss. It was, I mean, that's a cool thing. So... Yeah, so I think that, that ultimately you have to go and say God wasn't ready to do that yet. And I think that then as you look at what happened with Saul and David and what, we're, what you know, we just barely looked at it, but what you see is that, is that the Lord was, was teaching lessons about a bunch of different things in life, about teaching us through David about patience, teaching us through David about how to treat the Lord's anointed one as we see David treat him properly, teaching us with David and Jonathan what we're going to learn today about friendship and how Jesus is, is better than any friend that we have on this earth. So I think that the Lord was, God was certainly teaching us through all of those things, um, and he wasn't ready to do it yet. <clears throat> I think there's an aspect where it's very possible that David needed to go through the school of hard knocks and a little training from the Lord as well, that he wasn't ready to be the king yet um, in that respect. So ultimately you can always look at things and say it's because God's timing and God did what he did. But I think that there's a sense of, of, of outrageous pride on Saul's part as well. You know, that I'm, I'm not about to give this up. There's going to be a fight here. Um, and here's the other thing, and, and this is just human nature. Just because a pronouncement is made today, does that mean that that's the way it has to be tomorrow? And I think that we hang on to that a lot. I think that Saul probably hung on to that a lot. You know, that I will be a really good king, and, and the Lord will say, uh, uh, never mind. You know, I'll, I'll do my thing. So that's all just, that's kind of why I believe that that type of stuff went on, and, and I think that's why the time period. Okay, does that make sense? So, yes. Yes. 
Yeah, yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but Saul already was the king at that point, so, I mean. God stayed with him. Again, God he did. He had a plan. Yeah, God had a plan. There's no doubt that, it, that he was working out his plan, yeah. So that's a good question, actually, of why that happened. And with the, what we're doing with the quarterly, we jump so, fur, so far ahead. The quarterly doesn't deal with, you know, we're, we're jumping ahead many times. So that was a good question. Way to go. So Hopefully you guys are reading for Samuel and you're learning some of these cool things. We're going to look today, as, as we look at David and Jonathan, we'll, we'll compare it to Christ's sacrificial love. And, uh, and then the other thing is that we are called to be the kind of friend that the Lord says are the proper kinds of friends in this world. And uh, we will look at that in detail this morning. The issue, our quarterly says, that we have in life today is not that, is not that we, we lack people. There are all sorts of people that are around us constantly. We cross paths with people all the time. Our problems is that we lack true friends. And in fact, our society, one of the things that's really crazy in our society is what Facebook has done for us. Because what do we get to say with Facebook? Yeah, I have 3,488 friends. That's exactly what we get to say. That's exactly right. It's kind of cool when we, when we do something is that people get to say, look, I had this many people say they liked it or whatever that's that's exactly right so we we have this this thing with technology where friends are different than they used to be certainly and technology has changed things when it comes to how we can communicate with people around the world and what that means when it comes to the idea of friends over and over again so we have people all around us but the question is do we really have the kind of friends that the bible lays out for us um, it has been said that there are two features of true friendship. They are constancy and transparency. In other words, a friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. When, and when your friends do disappoint you temporarily, they don't give up until your relationship is restored. And fortunately, our quarterly says, most of us live days letting no one in, and because we avoid the demands of constancy and transparency, we are always letting people down. There must be a better way. Well, we see the picture of David and Jonathan in the Bible. Jonathan shows us what it is to be a true friend. He was completely committed to David's well-being in spite of anything that might have gone on in his life. And we see that in this passage that we're going to look at today. So, as we, as we come to 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to be to start with. 1 Samuel 18, we meet Jonathan in the middle of David's story. Last week we saw how David was anointed by Samuel, how he stood up. To Goliath, we had to cut short a little bit, but you guys know the end of the story that he won and he killed Goliath and he cut, cut his head off. And, and David brought the giant down with a single flick of the wrist and that stone. David became the prime example of a person who said, the battle is the Lord's and I will stand for the Lord. All right? And he has been held up ever since for that. And, and that's important, by the way, when your children, when we talk about it, sometimes one of the mistakes that we make with children is that we, we focus in on the wrong thing in the story, okay? With David and Goliath, for instance, what's the thing that's focused in on so often? Huh? The size and what it is that David did with his sling and his stones, right? Okay? And that's really not the most important thing. The most important thing is the fact that David did that because... 
because God was with him. And he said, he said who's going to stand for the Lord? We're not going to let this giant attack our God. We're going to stand for the Lord. And so you just got to, sometimes we focus in on the wrong things with stories when, our, when we teach our kids, and, and then they, they go out throughout life, you know, thinking the wrong thing. And, it, you know, we need, just need to be careful about that. So anyway, so David said, I'm going to stand for the Lord. I'm going to let the Lord work in me, and, and the Lord is going to fight his battle. But I, somebody's got to stand up and be the one. And David said, I'll be the one. So anyway, but he was, because he did that, he was a, he was a national hero then. And people cheered his name, and people were all excited about David. He was a great guy. So much so that as Saul was still reigning, he began to be worried about this guy, David, that he's getting so popular, all right? So he decided to keep David close and bring him in to the inner circle, if you will, and keep him very, very close. And in the midst of that is where we see him and Jonathan become friends. So in 18, 1 Samuel 18, it says this in verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as, as himself. Um, now I want you to, that's where we're going we're gonna to study for a little while, but let's read a little bit further here. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he prospered. And Saul set him over men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and joy and musical instruments. The women sang as they played, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So possibly we're seeing a reason why God didn't make the change right away also. And what was it here? What are we seeing here? What's going on? Exactly. The people are getting excited about this new guy. And that's a good thing. And so the people are falling in love with David. And so when that change was made, that would be a good thing, and the people would support him completely. So I think that's possible for the, one of those reasons also. Verse 8, Then Saul became very angry for this saying, displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. And so he was worried, although he had been told that the kingdom would be taken away from you, and, and in fact Samuel had come and, and had said, This is the next king. But I think that that Saul had this incredible pride, and, and uh, because of, he was half-hearted toward the Lord on a regular basis, he, he had this. Uh, he, he really, you know, was not, actually he had no heart for the Lord, and so he, he would have constantly been on the edge about these things. So, going back to the beginning of this, we see that, that there's something cool in these couple of verses, and that is verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? And we use those words and we kind of interchange them a little bit, um, but they are completely different. Contracts are limited. And the reason contracts are limited is because contracts, generally speaking, have stipulations. They have timetables. They even have opt-outs in them. They are created to deal with the mistrust that exists between two people. Contracts, by and large, are designed to protect both parties. Okay. A covenant, on the other hand, is founded upon trust. They are established to commit people to one another 
there are promises in a covenant that put the other person first. Covenants are vows without conditions. That's why we need to and should use the word covenant in marriage ceremonies. Okay, that's what it is. Uh, a marriage ceremony is a picture of a covenant. Okay, there are no conditions here. Um, I am doing this. I am committing myself to you. I am putting you first. I am putting you ahead of me. There's no opt-out here. There's no conditions. There's no stipulations. This is just a promise above all things that I'm going to do this. It's a vow without conditions. So it's a covenant. So Jonathan made a covenant with David. He put David first. Okay? He did this remarkable thing here. And this makes absolutely no sense when it boils right down to it because they should have been rivals, should they not? They should have been rivals. Okay? Here we have, if there was a person in the kingdom that should have been irked about David, it should have been Jonathan. Because who should have been the next king? Jonathan. All right? And now this guy's coming along, and he claims he's going to be the next king, and the Samuel guy claims he's going to be the next king, and he's taking my place, all right? Now, that's a tough day when you see your father get kicked out of the kingdom, right? Because there goes your future, <laughs> you know? That's, that's a, not a happy thing. And so oh, this shouldn't have happened, okay? But it did happen, and why did it happen? Okay, not, not because of the text, because we understand theology. Why did it happen? Because it was God's plan. Who put it in, da who put it in Jonathan's heart to love David? God did. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's an important thing. God does those kinds of things, and God did that here. And Jonathan, it says, look at in verse 4, this is a tremendous, tremendous statement that Jonathan made. He stripped himself of the robe and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt, and he gave it to him. And he was making that bold statement that you are the next one, and I understand that. Okay? That's what needs to happen. Jonathan was the guy that was willing to serve the Lord and walk with the Lord. And when the Lord said somebody else is going to be the king, Jonathan was okay with that. Jonathan is an example of quite a man who honors God and, and, and did what should have been done in spite of what were some incredibly difficult circumstances. Okay, so we need to understand that and give him a ton of credit. He was a guy who apparently was very sensitive to the Lord. And he listened to the Lord and he, and he did what the Lord wanted him to do over and over and over again. All right? All right, so friendship, covenant. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Turn with me to Matthew and let's look at two verses. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And we're going to come back to this at the end of our lesson. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it says this in Matthew 7, 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay? In everything, this is how you're supposed to treat people. The bottom line is we should, we should have that mindset in life. 
okay? That mindset of treating other people in a proper way. And the Bible says, and this is just one of the verses we can find a lot more, that we should treat people in the same way you want, that you want them to treat you. Okay, this is the law and the prophets. Put other people first. Take care of other people first. Put them above yourself. And that's exactly what Jonathan did with this covenant here. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to treat you better than myself. I'm going to put you above me. All right? So our topic today is friendships. So think about friendships. And think about what happens is true friendships are grounded in a covenant commitment. I want to put you before me. I want to take care of you before me. All right? The next thing is we're going to see the true friendship risk one's welfare. So as we continue with chapter 18, what we see is that Saul turns against David. Um, David ends up marrying Saul's daughter, and, and we have this, this whole thing going on here and this bizarre relationship happening here. And then we come to chapter 19, and we read a little bit more about Saul, or Jonathan and David. Now Saul told Jonathan, his son, and all of his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. And so again, the question is, why is it that Saul didn't step down? We have this pride going on here. And in, and in Saul's mind, if he can get rid of David, what's going to be the result? He stays king. That's exactly right. It's, I get to be the king still. Okay? So that's where he was thinking. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be in guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to, father, to Saul, his father, and said, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel, and you saw it and rejoiced. When will you, why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him about all these words, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. So, one of the things that we understand is that, is that oftentimes covenants come at a cost. Why? Why do covenants come at a cost? Yeah. Yeah, you have to put yourself aside. Absolutely. And if you're truly going to have that covenant with somebody, whether it be a spouse or a friend, what are you going to do on a regular basis? You're going to put yourself aside for them, Okay. Jonathan, in this situation, had absolutely nothing to gain except one incredibly important, significant thing. And what was that? Pardon, say it louder. Honoring God. That is the answer. That's exactly right. He had nothing to gain on this earth for doing what he was about to do. Nothing. Nothing. His dad, the king, said, let's kill David. Okay, and, and, and this is a hard thing for us to understand, but we need to understand as you continue to read through the Old Testament, the whole kingship thing was a ruthless, ruthless system. Okay, let's kill him. That should have been a good thing in Jonathan's mind. Dad can do the dirty work. I get a benefit from it. Okay, 
He had nothing to gain by doing what he did except to do the right thing before God. Okay. In a covenant relationship, think marriage, think friendship. Over and over again, the truth of the matter is there is very little to gain sometimes from doing the right thing. In fact, sometimes doing the right thing kind of causes a little bit of difficulty with you. Except doing the right thing does what? Huh? What? It honors God. Doing the right thing honors God. Now, where are we in life? Are we going to do the right thing because it honors God? Or are we going to do the thing that benefits me most in life? That is a choice that I have to make constantly. I have to make that constantly in a relationship. I have to make that constantly on my own as I'm just living life with my God. I constantly have to make that decision. But especially think relationships right now. Again, think marriage. Think friendships. Okay? Over and over again, do you not have to ask that question? What should I do here? How should I act here? And sometimes... Doing the right thing, the only benefit and the only thing is you've done what God asked you to do. And in doing that, that's a good thing. And the more we do that, the more we'll want to do that. And the more we want to do it, the more we'll do it. Okay? That's what was going on with him. That's how life is with relationships. Okay? That's how life is in relationships. Over and over again. And, and, and let me just be brutally honest with you here, and you know this. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. The reason why we struggle so often in marriages is because we don't answer that question properly. What am I going to do? And why am I going to do it? Because if it doesn't benefit me, we think, why bother? And many times in a marriage relationship, we do the right thing, and it doesn't do a lot for it. Because we're dealing with another person. God says it's the right thing to do, therefore you ought to do the right thing. Is it easy? It's incredibly hard many times. And sometimes you just kind of get irked because I need to do the right thing. I know that I need to do the right thing. I know what I'm supposed to do now. I better do the right thing. Okay? I need to do the right thing. Okay? And that's how life is, is it not? The verse that, that I share with people all the time is the verse I, I, I shared when we did a little reception for um, Aaron and Coral Knox. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. What's the benefit in being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving toward another person sometimes? Sometimes nothing. That's the absolute truth. Sometimes nothing. Except, except God says this is how you're supposed to treat people in your life. And when you do that, that's a good thing, okay? It's a really good thing, okay? We need to make sure that we understand that. That's what a covenant relationship is all about, all right? Um, let me read to you something from our quarterly as we go to the next section here. It says this, as we talk about true friendship strengthens our faith. 
As the story of David continues, we see him on the run from King Saul. David flees into the desert, going from cave to cave, running for his life. The friendship of David and Jonathan takes a back seat to Saul's high-speed chase after David. But every now and again, the author lets us know what Jonathan was up to. As it turns out, Jonathan was doing whatever he could to strengthen David's hand and put him in the best possible position to survive. Jonathan went about intentionally seeing how he could help out his friend David. Turn to chapter 23. Chapter 23. Chapter 23. It says this in verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come to seek his life while David was in the wilderness. And Jonathan's son Saul arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to them, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David uh, stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. So again, Jonathan came and encouraged David. And, and as David was running, and again, we haven't studied all that, but our quarterly gave us a real quick snapshot. As David is running, and he's living in caves, and he's hiding from the king, What's easy to do when you're discouraged and frustrated and things aren't going well because you've even done the right thing? What's, what's sometimes one of the thoughts that comes into your mind? I want to give up. What? Take it into your own hands. Yep. And why do you want to give up? I like to throw that one for a minute. Why do I want to give up? What's my question that I ask sometimes? Is God abandoned me? Or am I really on God's path or not? Exactly right. And so when that happens, you oftentimes need somebody to come along and do what? Encourage you. You need somebody else to come along and say, it's all right. It's all right. Okay? This is indeed the path you're supposed to be on. This is what, this is what should happen. Okay? This is exactly what needs to happen in your life right now. Okay? And Jonathan came along and he said to David, hey, this is a good thing. God's in charge still. That's the good thing. You will be king. You will live. You will be all right. God has said it, and I want to encourage you to cling to the words of God. We need that in our life on a regular basis. We need people to come alongside of us and say, you know what? It's all right. I am your friend and I believe that you're doing the right thing, and God has this message for you, all right? We des yes? Yep. Yep. Yep, he strengthened him in his hand in God. He encouraged him. That's exactly right. We need that in life. We need friends to encourage us. You need people to help you out. You need somebody to say it'll be all right. There are times in life when, when you say, and again, think spouses, think good friends. There are times in, li in, in life when you say, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you need somebody to come along and say, hold on to me, I can. Hold on to me, I can. Okay? I'll, I'll help you out here. I'll help you out here. I love the story, and this is, you know, I, I don't like doing this very often. In fact, I do it very, very rarely. But I like this story that I heard one time, and it's from media, okay? So I didn't make this, I didn't 
create this. It's from media. And the story is told that there's a guy and he falls into this big hole and, and it's sheer on all four sides and, there's, and he can't get out and he tries and he tries and he tries and he can't get out. And I've told you guys this before. And, and, and somebody comes along and the guy hollers out and, and he's, he's a pastor, a priest type guy, and he hollers out, hey, hey, I, hey, can you help me out here? And the guy writes a prayer and throws it in the hole for him. And, and pretty soon another guy comes along and happens to be a doctor and, and, and has the ability to do some things. And, and, and the guy just says, I'm too busy, and he goes along. And somebody else goes by, and they don't help him. And finally a friend comes by, and he, and he says, hey, Joe, can you help me? Can you help me? And Joe jumps into the hole with him. And the guy says, what are you, crazy? Now we're both down here. And Joe says, yeah, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. And I love that story because it's so remarkably true. I can help you. I've been where you are. And you know what the neat thing about life is that God has given us people who have been where we are. And they can say, I can help you. I can help you. I can help you. We desperately need friends in this life. We desperately need friends in this life. And the reason you need friends in this life is because to live the Christian life the way the Bible calls us to live the Christian life is incredibly difficult. In this society in this place, at this time. Now, that's probably always been the case, but I don't care what used to be, and I don't care what's going to be. I care what is right now, and it's incredibly difficult to live the way we're supposed to live right now. So you need friends. You need people to help you out. You need that companion. You need that person that will jump in that hole with you every once in a while and say, it's okay, I know the way out. You need that person that will say, hold on to me. I can see the light. I can see the light. There are times in life when I will sit down with a dear, dear friend and I will simply say, I don't know what to do. And generally speaking, that's a lie. I know exactly what to do. What do I need for my friend? I need encouragement. I need my friend to say, you do know what to do. <laughs> and you should do it. It's exactly what we need sometimes. We need to talk it out with somebody sometimes. We need to just work our way through it and, and, and verbalize it and do our thing so we can do it. And we need people that will do that with us who love Jesus Christ. Okay? Jonathan was incredibly intentional with his friendship with David. We need to be intentional with our friendships. Jonathan acted on behalf of David. We need to be intentional and act on behalf of our friends. He was an active friend, not a passive friend. He went out of his way to go and find David and say, hey, dad's trying to kill you. We need to be active in our friendship, okay? We, we, are, we, need, to, we need to understand the importance of having those relationships in life. And, and here's, the, here's the reason why, and this is, this is one of the essential doctrines that's being taught in our quarterly this, this week. The reason we desperately need friends is because we need edification. We need built up. We need built up. The quarterly says this, edification refers to the progressive growth and maturity of the church, both individually and collectively. The Bible talks about different ways of maturity or edification may happen, such as through fellow Christians that we share with one another. Edification takes place through the preaching and the teaching of scripture. Edification takes place as we listen to the word and as we have different things go on in our life. But by and large, edification is going to happen when we have somebody come alongside and walk with us on this path. We need friends. We need friends in this life. 
And in order to be a friend, there are times when I need to open myself up and I need to let my friend know what's going on in my life. Okay? I need to do that. And I'm not going to have that friend who can help me out unless I am willing to open up to that friend and say, these are my weaknesses. These are the things that I struggle with. These are the things that I'm battling with, and I need some help from you. I need some insight from you right now. I need some encouragement from you right now. Okay? You don't need to do that with everybody in the world. I don't need to stand in front of all of you and tell you those things with me. But there better be a few people in my life that I have shared those with so that they can encourage me and help me. Okay? We need that in life. We desperately need that in life. We need people who will come along and who will encourage us and walk with us and who every once in a while will jump in that hole with us and say, I know the way out. Let's go. All right? Let's look at some verses about friendship in the Bible. John chapter 15. Now these are going to be some very general verses. Some will be about Jesus. Some will be about people on the earth. It'll be a mixture of different things that will hopefully help us think about friends, okay? John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So what's the great encouragement from that passage? Pardon? That what? Love one another, certainly, but there's something else way important. Okay, good. There's another one. Who's talking here? Jesus, he's our friend. Let's start there. He's our friend. Okay? He's our friend. Now, and this is going to go in with what we're going to have when we preach during the preaching time today. But here's the problem with having Jesus as a friend. Okay? I want to go have coffee with my friend. And I want to have a physical sit-down chat with my friend. Is that possible with Jesus Christ right now? No, and I, that's not a tricky question. I mean, yeah, don't think too deeply. No, it's not. Okay? Because he's not physically here with me right now, is he? Therefore, what must I do in order to have a friendship with Jesus? I got to go to him. And I got to go to him on his terms, don't I? Which means, what are the two, what are the two things that I really need to be a part of in order to have a friendship with Jesus what, that is, really works? The word of God and prayer. Exactly right. We're going to talk about that during the sermon today. It's exactly right. You have a friend in Jesus. Okay? You have a friend in Jesus like David had a friend in Jonathan, which means that Jesus is all about what with you? Yeah, he's an encourager. He wants to help you. He wants to see you succeed and do well. Okay? And in fact, the truth is, just like Jonathan, Jesus took off his robe of righteousness and put it on us. Yep, we have a covenant with him. That's exactly right. Well, let's move on. We have a lot of verses I want to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 33, it says this. Do not be conceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. What kind of friends should I have? Moral ones. <laughs> Like-minded ones. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
Listen, one of the really incredibly important things in life is that you make sure that you have friends who are like-minded. Okay? And, and we can just start with what Randall said. This, this, this talks about, I mean, this is incredibly blunt here. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 33. If you, if, you, if you have friends that are not where you are when it comes to your morals and with your approach to life, those are not good influences in your life. Okay? I am convicted by God that I ought no longer do X. But my best friend loves X. I have a problem, don't I? I have a serious problem here. Okay? And we need to understand that. If your best friend is not a believer and you share with your best friend how incredibly horrible and rotten your spouse is right now, your best friend may say what? Yeah, dumper. There's a better one waiting out there. It'll be all right. Bad advice. Bad advice. Bad company corrupts good morals. Make sure that your friends are believers who are on the same page as you. Your friends. Now, that does not mean you shouldn't have acquaintances. That shouldn't, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have relationships with other people. Your friends, the people that you're in covenant with, need to be on the same page you are. Because there will be a time when you're going to go to that person and you're going to have some sort of a moral crisis. And if they're not on the same page with you, you're going to get really bad advice. Okay? Really bad advice. Yes? Yes. To another person. That's what's supposed to happen. Yep. Go to um, Luke 6. And verse 31. Pretty simple verse. It says this. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. That's pretty simple, straightforward, but really, uh, sometimes we fail on that, okay? Treat other people the way you want to be treated. It's, it's real simple. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And this contains the verses that I mentioned earlier. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Think in terms of a covenant relationship with your spouse or your friends. What should you be doing with them? Letting your hair down, relaxing, letting it all hang out, kind of sharing whatever you want to share because it really doesn't matter because after all, they're your friend or your spouse and they have always been there and they always will be there. That's not what the Bible says, is it? What should I be doing with that person? I should make sure that there is no unwholesome word proceeding from my mouth. Only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So it will give grace to the person I'm with. A, a, a friend, when you have a covenant relationship with somebody, that's how you think of them. You just don't let it all spew. Okay? You are thinking about them. And you are doing what you ought to be doing with them. Later on is that verse in there where I, that I shared with you earlier, verse 32. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs. 
Proverbs 11.14, another reason why I need friends and I need good friends, Proverbs 11.14, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. I need friends in my life because there are times when I need guidance. And I need to make sure I have the right kind of, of friends to help me out with that. I need guidance. There are times when I am so blind, I cannot see what is going on. I can't see it. I see that there is only one solution here. And that solution is to jump off this cliff. And I need friends every once in a while to say, I, that may not be the best solution. I think there's a better way. Let's figure this thing out. Proverbs chapter 27. You guys kind of laugh at that. Aren't there times when in your blindness you want to jump off a cliff? Proverbs 27 verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You need good friends in your life because you need somebody to say, you are out of line. Stop it. You need friends to come alongside you and say, have you lost your mind? Seriously? This is what you're doing right now? Let's think about that. And you need friends in your life for that reason. Okay? Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You need friends in your life. You need to have people that you stand with in your life and who stand with you so that you can be strong as you face the difficulties of life. Go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And this one's about Jesus. We looked at James, or excuse me, John 15, and we saw that verse already where Jesus said, I call you my friends. Look at what it says in James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. It's a pretty good phrase, isn't it? This person is a friend of God. This person is a friend of God. That's a, that's a great, great, great thing to hold on to. And that that is said of Abraham, that is pretty cool. That that's who he was. Um, that he had done what he needed to do to such a degree that the Lord said, you and I, were friends. And the reason we're friends with God today is because of what? Because of the covenant relationship that is ours through Jesus Christ. Okay? He said, this is what I'm going to do. And the result of this is going to be these things. I want you to turn to Proverbs 18 and we'll look at this last verse. We looked at a verse earlier that said that there's, in effect, it said there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors and that you need to have friends who are going to give you good advice. 
but here's a verse that's important also, okay? Proverbs 18, 24, a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The idea of there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother is a reference to and referring to ultimately Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. But let's do with the first part of this verse. A man of too many friends comes to ruin. What is that referring to? There are times in life when I am faced with an issue. I, we, people. We are faced with an issue. We kind of know what we should do, but we kind of know what we want to do. And so what I'm going to do then is I'm going to run around and I'm going to ask a whole bunch of people their opinion until what? Yeah, I get the one that points me in the direction I want to go already. <laughs> okay? And that's what this is referring to, that idea that a man of too many friends comes to ruin. Okay? I'll just, I'll find eventually, somebody eventually will agree with me. Okay? Eventually. And then I'll say, well, yeah, I, I had good counsel. This is what I did. Yeah, that's right. So, don't play games with friends. Okay? You can, you can find people that will agree with you. It's not that hard in life. You can. You can find people that will just go along with you and whatever. But don't do that. Make sure that you're doing the, the godly ones. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is a really, really good verse that you just need to, needs to be a verse that we cling to. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's, it's just, that's a really, really good verse, okay? And listen, let me say this about, about that also, all right? In this day and age of electronics and media, bad company corrupts good morals. They don't have to be flesh and bone, bad company, okay? Bad company corrupts good morals, all right? We get our advice sometimes from pretty bad company, even though they're not physically with us. So watch out. Be very careful about that. Covenant relationship, marriage, friendship, they're incredibly important on this earth, incredibly important. Now, one more thing and then we'll wrap up. Let's deal with Jesus real quick. When Jesus was on the earth, what, what was the pattern that Jesus had? He was friendly toward who? All people. He had a special relationship with 12 he had a very unique, intimate relationship with three. Okay? The Bible never asks you to have the same kind of relationship with everybody. That's not, impo that's not possible. It's no big deal. You do not, I even look around a room like it, you do not need to be friends with everybody in this room. You, you just don't. But you need to do what with everybody in this room? Be friendly and love them as the Bible says you ought to love them. Okay? And then there's some that you're going to be more friendly with, and then there's some that are going to be in your inner circle that are the people that you really depend upon and rely upon. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible lays that pattern out, I believe, over and over again. Okay? I think that you see that as you, as you do anything with all, anytime you study characters, you, you find that, that they have that. Okay? So it's okay to have some very special friends. Now, what's not okay is that those friends are your friends to the exclusion of everybody else. That's not okay. We can't do that. Okay, we can't be the little secret club that have the secret handshake and the secret knock and nobody else can be a part of us in any way, shape, or form. That's not okay. 
but it's quite all right to say, I have friends, and we do this thing, or we, whatever. It, nothing wrong with that, okay? So just understand that. But you can't ignore anybody, okay? You have to, be, you have to deal with people in a proper way, okay? Friends are real important. Covenant relationships are real important. If you're married, you have one. And if you have friendships, you ought to have one or more. Okay? And the Bible has laid out for us how we ought to do it. And Jonathan and David are a really good example of how we ought to do it. And then Jesus kicks it up and shows us what it's really like. All right? Yes? That's right. A covenant. talked about when they said covenants in Bible study, that you walked between the pieces. There was a figure eight. It, it represented that there was no end to it, and that's exactly what marriage is. That's exactly right. It is. It is indeed. It's an important one. Yeah, that's right. Covenant's important. Yes, sir. No, no. Jesus taught that. Question. That was a question was asked of Jesus. Is there any marriage in heaven after you are gone with this? And Jesus taught that to the Sadducees. He said, "You don't understand scriptures. There will be no marriage or given of marriage in heaven. Um, marriage is a earthly relationship that is a picture of Christ and the church." And so when we're in heaven, we don't need that picture any longer. What we have instead in heaven is that covenant relationship that we're all together the same in heaven, and there's that picture of, of Christ in the church any longer. Father, thank you very much for the time that we can have together, and thank you for your grace that teaches us. Lord, thank you that you, ha you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and you are amazing and we thank you that you have given us covenant relationships on this earth with our spouses and with friends and I just pray that you would use the truth that we discussed today that we would be the kind of friends that we ought to be on this earth and that we would cherish friendships and that we would understand the importance of encouragement and helping friends on this earth and we thank you for people that you've surrounded us with grow us in this area and use us for your glory in this area we pray in Jesus' name, amen.